If you will, take your Bibles to Philippians, and I would like to uh, uh, preach this message on, I've entitled it, uh, Fixing My Family. We've been on series of the family, and we kind of started there in Matthew about building the house on the rock, and one of the major things that I see going on today is Satan has attacked the family. Uh, he has really uh, brought uh, uh, a lot of destruction there. And to, to the point where uh, a husband and a wife and children uh, is kind of like, you know, it's been married, especially when you get somebody celebrating 30, 40, 50 years of marriage. That's a rare thing today. And uh, uh, you say, well, what has happened? Well, that's where Satan has chosen to do battle. And uh, there's a lot of, of God's people uh, and preachers that have been other places on the battlefield. But the home is one of the major battlegrounds. And it's a major battleground in America. And it seems like every day and every week that the devil is doing more to destroy that. And, and why is because they want to destroy anything that God has set up. They want to destroy anything in any, any way or any law that God has laid down uh, that will allow us to function normally. And the devil loves anarchy. The devil loves chaos. Uh, the devil loves destruction. And he, that is his sole motivating goal is to destroy anything that God has said is good and that God has said was right. And so I'm about uh, trying to put families back together again and trying to help, help us to see from the Word of God how not to let our families become fragmented. Now, Philippians chapter 4, I'll be in the book of Philippians with this message, and, uh, but we will springboard out of chapter 4. And let's read there in verse, uh, I want to read a couple of verses. Uh, verse, verse 5, he says, Let... Your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now here's where my text began. He says, be careful for nothing. Now that's Old English. That word careful means anxious. Be anxious. Or to have anxiety for nothing. So he's saying, he says, it's a command. Have anxiety over nothing. Now, that's easy preaching. If you're like me, I got lots of anxieties, you know. Uh, uh, whether it's, it's the future, fear of the unknown, uh, uh, so on and so forth. You, we could sit here all day long and talk about things that create anxieties and fears in us. Maybe you're a parent or grandparent and you see the way this world's going. And so that makes you anxious for your grandchildren and for your children and what they're going to have to face. And I will assure you, what children are facing today in schools and in the world is nothing uh, like what, you know, it's totally different. It's more severe than what we were facing. I was thinking yesterday, uh, it's, man, it's been over 30 years since I've been in school and I was Christian schooled. I've been married 33 and so you add a couple more years, that's been over 35 years ago. So I dare say I'd be totally shocked and that can create anxieties. We can have anxieties over business. We can have anxieties over church, over success, uh, uh, being successful or looking successful. We can have anxieties and be worried about failures. And he's telling you, he's commanding you, don't be overcome or don't have these anxieties. 
Now, it's easy to preach. And it's there. It's easy to read. It's hard to live. But this is what the Scripture is commanding us. Now, let's move on. Let's find out some cure for anxiety. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything. That means everything, folks. He's not excluding anything. But in everything, by prayer. There it is. Prayer and supplication. Here's the motive that you go to God in prayer. With thanksgiving. Remember some months back I give you, I think it was five steps on how to deal with a crisis. A lot of times, crisis can give you anxieties. Uh, and you say, if, if you all remember that, number one, thank God for the crisis. Remember that? Thank God for the crisis. God chose you out of seven billion people that's on this planet to represent Him in your particular crisis. Thank God for the crisis. Number two, uh, look for ways to make God look good in your crisis. Kind of hard to do when you're sitting on the couch panting like a dog to get air. Like, yeah, God, this is good. I'm going to make you look good. And we all have our own battles. Number three on dealing with a crisis, pray fervently. Prayer. Uh, You've heard me say this before. I do not think we understand the power of prayer. It's a spiritual weapon and it's a mighty weapon. Number four, wait on the Lord. Wait on an answer from God. But then number five, take the next logical step of faith. Because God's a God of action. And God, trusting God to direct your steps through that crisis. So that's what he's talking about here. But your mode, your, 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 your mind, your mental makeup should be with thanksgiving. Don't go to God and say, well, you know, I'm just blaming you, God. I can't believe you've let this happen. And, and a lot of times we blame God for things that happen to us because of our dumb decisions. And, and so, but we want to get mad at God because it's easy to transfer that. So don't do that. Even in your family situation. When you begin to pray, pray in a thankful manner. And supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Now when you enter into this realm of prayer with thanksgiving, and the peace of God, there it is. Everybody wants that peace. Well, you've, this, is a, this is a recipe. God's telling you how to get the peace. And it's through prayer with a thankful attitude just like you don't like unthankfulness in your children and grandchildren god doesn't like it in us and so we must be thankful and go to god in that mode of thanksgiving and he says in the peace of god which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through christ jesus verse 8 Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, one more verse. 
those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Lord, we love you. Help us today. Let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Help us to get this help that you have offered from the Scriptures on strengthening our families and, and putting our fragmented families together so that we can be more effective for you in ministry. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. If your family is fragmented, and I preached that a couple of weeks back on uh, is my family fragmented and even give you a biblical illustration of a fragmented family that had the potential to be good. Remember Isaac and Rebekah and we had Esau and Jacob and they had such great potential and they were uh, good people. But over time they had become fragmented and uh, we, we learned that we had a carnal father and carnality is not a good thing. And then we had a conniving mother, conspiring mother. And then we had contentious siblings. Remember that. There was that fighting and infighting and chaos and anarchy um, in that family. No communication. And so if your family is fragmented, there is no time uh, to lose. It will not fix itself. It won't just work out, is what I'm saying. You must go to work. That's why I read verse 9. He says, do. These things you've heard and seen in me, do. God is telling you to do your part. So many times I think we sit on our backsides and we expect God to work everything out. And some years back I had shared a, a quote. It says, yes, God does feed the sparrows, but He does not put the food in their nest. That quote doesn't get a lot of likes. Not a lot of people like that. Because it goes against their theology or how they think about God. God does feed the sparrows. And He knows when they go hungry. But they still got to go out and get the food. They got to do their parts. We have a part to do. And if our families are fragmented, then we've got work to do. It's not just going to automatically work out. Your battle in the beginning of trying to put this thing back together is going to be an uphill battle. I will tell you that. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I always tell that to new converts. The devil is going to jump on you with two feet because you're being delivered from the bondage of sin and from your old life. And if you've truly received Christ into your heart, the devil's coming after you just like Pharaoh did the children of Israel coming up out of Egypt. And there's going to be some battles. So when you go to try to put a fragmented family or a family that's been able or allowed to become fragmented, you're going to have a battle on your hand. And here's why. A lot of times your children are going to resist. Maybe even a spouse is going to resist. And I do have news for you. You're not going to do anything unless both spouses are on the same page. You can't have one spouse knowing they need to have a, a problem to be fixed and the other spouse don't care. 
It's not going to work. Do not go to step two. Both spouses have to be 100% on the same page about fixing it. You can't have one and not the other. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, children are going to resist. Sometimes spouses resist, and here's why. There is more freedom for self-autonomy in a fragmented family. There's no accountability or little accountability. So a fragmented family allows self-autonomy to reign supreme. Self-autonomy, you see a lot of that on Facebook. Promotion of self. Uh, uh, You see a, a lot of this going on where people say, well, let me tell you my truth. You've probably heard it like that. That's nothing more than the propagation of self-autonomy. There's been times in the Bible where this phrase shows up. It says, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You say, what is that? Well, that is a fragmented society who has uh, denied uh, the sovereignty of God in their lives. They're going to throw out the Bible and each individual, self-autonomy, is going to do what they think is right. Now, that plays into the devil's agenda. If you was to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, about verses 1 through about 13, 14 there, where he says, In the last days, perilous times shall come. That word perilous means unraveling times. Are we not living in unraveling times? I'm afraid to even uh, think about what's coming out of the closet next. It's unraveling. It's not going to get better. He says, for men, and he's talking about mankind, shall be lovers of their own selves. That's the time of self-autonomy. And fragmented families, there is a lot of freedom for that self-autonomy. God didn't set it up that way. God set us up to communicate and to commune with one another. So this is going to be a point of contention in your home if you're going to try to fix this thing. A fragmented family is the kind of family needed to further the devil's cause. It's a fragmented family that produces a love yourself mentality. That's a big popular phrase today. You can't love nobody else unless you love yourself first. You must be in love with yourself. Totally anti-scriptural. There is no scripture on it. I don't care what the modern liberal preachers try to twist scripture. They say, well, Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so they overemphasize the loving yourself part. That's not what the Lord was saying. It is naturally built into a human being that is of normal mental behavior. You have a self-preservation. You have a natural love of yourself. And he says, you make sure that you overemphasizing loving others because human beings are naturally selfish. No way was Jesus telling you, you can't love others until you love yourself first. That's nonsense. That's how devils and demons twist Scripture. And they'll always have a Scripture for you. But they'll twist the context. It's not what Jesus was teaching. It's the devil that teaches that philosophy. Love yourself. And it goes hand in hand with self-autonomy. Now you're starting to understand why Satan wants to fragment our homes and wants to fragment our churches. 
He wants to put in your mind that you do not need church. You do not need other brothers and sisters in Christ to be praying for you, to communicate with. He wants you to think you don't need your spouse. And why is this furthers his cause? Maybe you've heard it like this. Well, I'm being set free from bondage. I'm woke. It's a big popular phrase now. The deliverance movement. Set free from bondage. You Baptists hate everybody Baptists. You follow the word of God. We're set free from that. You've heard the phrases recovering fundamentalists. It's out of the pit of hell. You got a bunch of preachers who's got daddy issues up complaining about how they were raised. I, I know so. And people are falling into that because they always want an excuse to sin. And so this lukewarm, half-hearted, uncommitted, loose-living, entertainment-driven, self-seeking, flesh-driven, carnal-minded, deceptive, and worldly person who thinks this way is directly being used by the devil to hurt the cause of Christ and the church. It's a problem. One of the things that the Lord fixes when He comes back is the fragmented family. Malachi chapter 4 verse 6 says this, And He shall turn, this is talking about when Christ comes back, And He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. What he's saying there is this thing's going to continue to deteriorate. And one of the things God fixes when he comes back on that white horse and he sets up that kingdom and he lifts the curse on the earth and he throws the devil in the bottomless pit for a thousand years is he's going to fix the fragmented families. He said, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And I'm going to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. He said, I'm going to put that thing together. God puts a high priority on family. And I believe we need to preach on it. Now it is part of the preaching that gets me into more trouble than any other kind of preaching. There are people that should be here this morning that knows that I was getting ready to preach this. And one of the things I've learned in these last 11 or 12 years is people like their fragmented families. They like it. You want to know why? Self-autonomy. I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want. I'll think what I want, say what I want. This is my truth. And they're being manipulated by the devil. Now there's some people out because they're sick. I got that. I understand that. I was sick. I was out a couple of weeks. About third day, I was really backslid. We told Jen, we, that Jen's got to be on the altar this morning. Be on the altar. Get right. Wicked, wicked right there. <laughs> oh, she could probably point the finger right back at me. I'm hungry. Here's the first thing you need to do to begin to put that fragmented family together. Now, this is what you, if you want it. I'm learning that people don't want it. They like it the way it is. They just like complaining about it because it gives them something to talk about at work, about their fragmented family. 
gives them status, a platform to elevate their self. It's not pleasing to God. The first thing you must do is pray. That's step one, pray. Getting on God's page about family and the Christian life. Go back with me. You're here in Philippians to chapter 1, verse 27. Here's God's page for everybody, for the church and for the families. Only let your conversation, that's how you live your life, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Did you tell anybody about Jesus this week? Did you live Jesus in front of people this week? That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That ye stand fast in one spirit. Now, he's telling this is how our churches are supposed to be. And this is double. Your church is only going to be as strong as your families. If you've got fragmented families, you'll have a fragmented church. And he's saying we're supposed to stand fast in one spirit. That's the spirit of the Lord. One spirit. With one mind, supposed to have one mind. If you're a husband and a wife, you should be operating your home on, in one mind. One of you makes up the left side of it, and the other one makes up the right side of it. But you should be on the same page. If you are not on the same page, do not go to step two and do not go to step three. You have to be on the same page. And that's only going to come about through prayer. Prayer. Striving together, it's about being together. Now he's talking about a church. This does double duty for our families because our church is made up of saved, born-again people, families. For the faith of the gospel. So when you pray, and you pray in the right mindset, that's thankfulness, you're getting on God's page. And both of you should be praying together. Let me give you this thought. Remember Adam and Eve? First husband, first wife. God created it. A man, a woman. But there was a third person in the middle of that marriage, and that was God. Both of them communed with God every day in the cool of the day. Don't leave that out. If one of you is backslidden, the other one's on fire for God, you're going to have some problems. If one of you is saved and the other one's lost, you're unequally yoked, you're really going to have some problems. That's why it's important not to be unequally yoked. Now, if you're unequally yoked and the lost spouse is pleased to dwell with you, God says, keep it together. And you stay together. God is for keeping marriages together, and reconciliation. Pray getting on God's page. The home has to be in God's order. Mommy and daddy on the same page. On God's page. The home has to be about the Lord's business, ministry through the church. And I got news for you. You're not going to fix your family without church. <clears throat> I know I got a little bass in my voice this week. You got to understand, I've been out of the pulpit a few services, and so I've got a lot of pent up energy. 
<laughs> she said, yeah, amen. Yeah. As I've been preaching to her, she said, don't you get that tone with me. <laughs> I'm not trying to flip your all circuit breakers. And I was telling Jen, some of y'all, when I reach a certain frequency or a certain tone, I flip your circuit breaker. You don't hear anything else I say. It's over. <laughs> and I know that because it's on your body language. I can read it. I don't say anything about it until now. So I'm not trying to trip the circuit breaker, but I am going to overload this circuit a little bit to help you. Got to be on God's page. Have the mind of Christ. Go to chapter 2. This is the mind you're going to have to have, both spouses. In this attitude of prayer, the mind of Christ, verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Now, then come on down, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus wasn't about self-autonomy. I hope you caught that. The Lord was about the Father's will and pleasing the Father. That's what we're supposed to be about. But took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and found, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. There's going to be some humility. So you're not in it for selfish gain. You're not in it for pride. And you need to be obedient because Jesus became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. Now, let me tell you this. This is why this is step one. Nothing will be done without prayer. Any failure that's in your life or my life will be a prayer failure. John R. Rice said this, all of our failures are prayer failures. I can't emphasize that enough. We don't pray enough as individuals. We don't spend enough time in prayer. And we need to spend more time in prayer with the Lord. Prayer is going to help keep your heart and minds in the peace of God. Number two, you're going to need to plan. First step is pray. Both of you got to be on the same page. If you're not both on the same page in an agreement, what's going to happen is your children will pit the one against the other while laughing about it to their friends behind your back. You say, oh, my, my kids wouldn't do that. Look, I grew up in an era where there was a lot of deceived parents that thought their children were good, godly children. I was running with them, and they were doing things as lip service and eye service, and they were pitting one parent against the other because the family was, uh, was split, and they were laughing about it to all their friends. And now they've grown up and their families are totally destroyed. That's why both parents have got to be on the same page. But then you're going to have to plan. Chapter 3. You're going to have to plan with the end goal in sight. Chapter 3, verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You're going to have to plan because it's about eternity. And the things you do here 
will affect your eternity. You need to plan living out the will of the Father. You're going to have to plan, and including your plan, what has high priority and low priority. Let me give you a couple. Gun smoke. <laughs> it's what I watched in my days growing up, you know. You can put in there TV. It's not more important than an emotionally struggling child. I know parents that will send their emotionally struggling child to their bedroom while they get their soap bopper or whatever favorite television show. You need to turn that thing off. You've got a little emotionally struggling child. It needs to be dealt with. And I mean, you need to talk with them. Let me illustrate that. I've said this before, but it bears repeating because it touched my heart again this week. And it's about little Kinsley. You know us. We consider Kinsley as family. And we've told her as much from day one. We consider her as family. And, uh, 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 and, and we've told her. And she, she's like, yeah, we're like an uncle. We're not trying to be grandma and grandpa. We can't do that. But we're like, we're like an uncle. We have this church van that we pick up and we run the church van to pick up people. And they need a ride. And sometimes we pick Kinsley up from school. Now, I wasn't thinking nothing about it. Jenny wasn't thinking nothing about it. We showed up to pick her up one day from school in the church van. We sat her in the van, buckled her up, got in the driver's seat. She's crying. Now, wait a minute. Why are you crying? You know what she said? She says, am I not family? And see, we call the little white Honda CRV our family car. Now, this is the mind of a five-year-old at the time. I'm like, no, honey, you're family. She said, then why did you pick me up in the church van and not your family car? What do you say to that? Do you say, I'll oh, just get over it. You'll get over that. No. This was a child who was struggling emotionally because she felt like we had disowned her. We had told her she was family, and we picked her up in the church van. Now, folks that ride the church van, it doesn't mean you're not family. We're talking about the mind of a five-year-old and how a child sometimes views things. So what'd you do? Well, I said, sweetheart, <laughs> food fixes everything. What would you like to eat? White noodles. I had to get a hold of Jim. What is white noodles? It's Fazoli's. Okay, I got you, got you, with white sauce. So we got that, we took her home, and we sat her down and we talked about this. No, no, you're family. And so we made a promise to her that the next time we pick her up, we would make sure to be in the family car. That solved the problem. Jen and I had to switch vehicles because I almost sent her out in the church van to pick her up. She said, I can't do that. We promised Kinsley we'd pick her up in the family car. Sure enough, when Jen went to pick her up, she says, did you bring the family car? She don't miss anything. Yes, sweetheart, we did. Now, I got news for you. The answer to that is you don't ignore that. Watch your favorite TV show. That can create a problem in the mind of that child. I understand that's minor and that's little, but there is a straw that breaks the camel's back, and you don't want to fragment the family. 
Your smartphone family is not more important than your spouse and children. Church should have a high priority. Now, now I understand, and I think some of you have caught this wave, and I'm going to bust this in love. Because I think everybody agrees, oh, you're right, I need more family time. More family time. Do not sacrifice God's time for more family time. Preacher, I couldn't come. Because, you know, you've been preaching. I need to spend more time with my family. No, the ideal is you sacrifice your time, not God's time. God still needs to have His time. You will not fix anything if you cut God out of the picture. So don't throw that or be using that as an excuse on why you're missing church. Why? Well, i got to spend that family time. Preacher, you've been preaching that. I'm trying to obey your preaching. Now, which is it? Let me tell you something. You need to sacrifice your time, not God's time. Make sure that each family member gets quantity, not quality, quantity time with you each week individually. I'm speaking primarily to dads and moms, but each child needs to have one-on-one -on -one time with you. They do. Sometimes, again, through the mind of a child, another child is added into the fold, and the child that comes first could begin to struggle emotionally because all that affection, all that love has now been transferred to the new one, and they'll feel left out. Do not cut them out. Spend ample time with that individual. Each child. Keep your family commitments Understand that there can be temporary seasons of imbalance. But schedule extra time for struggling members of the family. They'll need extra attention. Children sometimes react differently because of less life experiences than us adults do. And they'll need you, the love of a parent, to help them through that time of crisis. If you don't step in and help them, you're fragmenting that family. Oh, they just got to deal with it on their own. They, they, they won't deal with it the way you think they should. They're going to need help. They're going to need guides. Three plow. You're going to have to learn how to plow some things under. If you're going to fix it, you're going to have to plow some things. God is not into no-till farming, by the way. It was a big thing years ago with farmers, no-till farming. They didn't plow the ground because it saves fuel and fuel costs and all that. And so they chisel plowed things. God's not into no-till. The Bible says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. You're going to have to plow some thorns under in your life. Thorns are those things that choke your time. I call them time snatchers. And they keep you from what you should be doing. That means you're going to have to have a come to Jesus meeting, family meeting. This happens after both parents are on the same page. One parent can't be on one page, the other parent on another page. As I said before, your children will 
work you against each other, causing further division. You say, preacher, what do I plow? Well, he says whatsoever things are true. If it ain't true, plow it under. If it ain't honest, plow it under. If it ain't just, that means living in exact conformity to the divine will of God as revealed in the Bible, it needs to be plowed under. I'm going to give you an illustration. You need to buckle up because it's going to get a little rough. But I'm going to do it in love. I'm not hollering and screaming. But I want you to follow my thought, the mind-thought process for what we're seeing in this world today when it comes to vain imaginations and people trying to say that they're biologically one way, but they feel another way. That's a vain imagination. You want to know where they got that and where that sprung board from? It sprung board from our homes. Remember the 60s and the 70s, the hippies movement? Do your own thing, man. And so shacking up become a big to-do. And But then children come along. And so what began to happen is a man and a woman begin to pretend that they were husband and wife. They begin to pretend and they told the children, you address us as husband and wife, we're out in public. Everybody else thinks we're married. Everybody else thinks we're okay. That's not truth. And it's not honest. And a lot of people did it so they could scam the system. They remain single for financial gain because the system will pay a single parent way more per child than they will if you're both married. I'm not dumb. That's not honest. And it's not just. And here's what happens. Because you've made your children play an imaginary game in your home, when they come of age, they're going to continue to play the imaginary game. And now we've got people say, I know I'm biologically a male. My chromosomes are male. But I feel like a woman. So I'm going to be referred to as a woman. And my pronouns are she, her. Yeah, change my name. And you say, well, and that's about the time I get involved because the mom and dad comes running in and they're all mad and they want to disown this child. They, wanna, they want to abuse this child now and, and, and call them the scum of the earth. And it's like, where did you think they got that? You've been playing an imaginary game with them from day one. Kids are not dumb, folks. And so you have trained them up in the way that they should go. And now they come out of the closet and said, guess what? I'm a woman trapped in a boy's body. And by the way, that's called gender dysphoria. Because you've been playing with marriage dysphoria. It unravels and it keeps unraveling. The devil's doing his work well. Hopefully that helps you as an illustration because maybe somebody was saying, well, what truth? What untruth? Oh, that one I would start with. Maybe you've got a couple of different uh, uh, relationships going on on the side. Maybe you've got online relationships. That's not truth. It needs to be plowed under. It 
If it ain't pure, that means free from moral defilement, plow it under. If it ain't lovely, if it doesn't cultivate and inspire a deeper love for Jesus and the things of God and church family and other Christians, you need to plow it under. If it ain't of good report, as in false accusations, gossips, half-truth, roast preacher, don't get in the habit of roasting the preacher in front of the children. That's not good. I'm not saying nobody's doing that. We're a pretty close-knit bunch. Blaming God for your dumb decisions in front of the children. Well, I can't believe God let, me had, let, let this happen in my life. God didn't make you drive 100 mile an hour like a wild maniac down the road and hit a culvert. God didn't force you to get on a motorcycle and act a fool. You brought that on yourself. Don't blame God for it. If it ain't virtuous, that's voluntary obedience to the truth of God. That means right motives, plow it under. If it doesn't praise the name of Jesus, you need to plow it under. That's what I'm talking about. You're going to have to plow some things under. One more point. I'll hurry because this is a quick one. You're going to have to plant some things. You need to plant the Word of God. It needs to be a main focus in your home. Family altar. The Bible. It's so important that our youth learn scriptures. That's what they're learning in Sunday school class. And I, I do want to tell you, I understand it's hard to get up early to get your children to Sunday school. But let me, follow me for a second. Your children have not lived enough life and they need good experiences in church. Because between the ages of one and seven, that sets their whole adult schedule in their life. That's why I allow the children to sing specials. It blesses my heart to see Kinsley sing special and the other, other children sing specials. You want to know why? It creates a good emotion in that child. It also teaches them that when they come to church, they have a part to play. They're part of it. They're involved. That will be with them through their whole life. They won't grow up to hate church and hate God. They need the Bible in their hearts. It's important. You need to plant the seed of faith. And you need to plant the gospel. It needs to be about the gospel. Let me give you this and I'll close with scripture. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, you want to chase the things of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, spiritual things, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. It's not easy getting kids ready for Sunday school. I know that. 
It's not easy being faithful to services and to church and to, and to get the Bible out every evening in your home and read it in front of your children. Maybe spend a little family altar time, take prayer requests up, allow them to have Bible questions. One of the, one of the funnest times uh, that I can remember is we all got together every evening with dad and mom and we would try to ask dad Bible questions that he didn't have the answer for. I learned a lot of my Bible like that. Dad made it a game. But it was fun, and it was family time, and it was good time. You need to do that. These are the things you should be planting in your home. And as I said before, if it ain't true, if it ain't honest, if it ain't pure, if it's not just, if it's not praising or giving the preeminence to Christ, you need to plow it under. Because the Lord says when you allow the weeds to grow, it chokes out the good seed. This is how you fix it. It takes work. And as I've learned, people like the fragmented family. But God don't like it, and it doesn't end well. It's important that we bring our families together, that mommy and daddy is on the same page, and that they guide their home, spending that valuable time with their children to nurture them in the admonition of Christ. Because parents and grandparents, our children are facing things we never even dreamed of when we was their age. And they're going to need that extra nurturing. Let's all stand this morning.